0: Channel 10 (laughs) Yo Yo Once again It's the Channel 10 Podcast The almighty AR Alongside Singa Superior And today we have a very special Episode with Sean Sotero Sean Sotero has one of the Top hip hop podcasts The Cypher And Um, He's also involved in numerous other things, including being a contributor to Forbes magazine. He's also written for The Atlantic. He's also written for Vibe. He's also written for so many other publications. Um, And we got the opportunity to speak with him on a variety of subjects dealing with hip-hop. And this was definitely a great episode, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I would, man. I would. So um, what are your takeaways from the episode?
1: Oh, man, I mean, well, I mean, you know, first of all, um, yeah, I really want to I really appreciate, you know, Sean coming on. And, you know, as you know, we've had, um, you know, we've had a correspondence with him, you know, uh, in the past with uh, certain episodes that we've had on the podcast. But, uh, you know, just like his um, his advice on podcasting, especially when it comes to Skype. Um, you know, for the listeners out there, you guys will know that, you know, we do deal with a lot of uh, crosstalk with um, a lot of our guests because we can't see them oftentimes. Uh, and you know, also just like the, the background, you know, m- making that transition from being a musician to a journalist, making that transition from, um, you know, having that backing, uh, having that backing with his podcast and the, in the earlier um, stages and then, you know, making it into what it is today from outside the lines to the cypher. So, um, I just think that this episode, like maybe the, one of the main ideas of this episode is transitioning, which is, um, a lot of Sean's It's a big part of Sean's story. I would say,
0: yeah, I mean, you know, starting off, um, I guess if you were to start from his experience, going to school at Berkeley, And, you know, playing guitar and bass and, you know, various bands. And he's even gone on tour. And it's like the way that his career path has gone um, into realms that he never would have realized um, is pretty dope to me. And um, it's definitely something to think about, you know, in life, you know, me being a little bit older. Um, and being involved in music and then, you know, also being involved in podcasting and various things. Um, it's interesting to see how somebody else's career path has taken, you know, various changes um, that they may not have foreseen. So um, this is definitely um, a great conversation. Um, I definitely think that you should stick around and check it out.
1: Yeah.
0: And um you know, of course, today's podcast is brought to you by Audible, where you can get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial, audibletrial.com. Let me just say that again more slowly for some of you, because some of y'all listen slow, because I speak fast, audibletrial.com slash channel 10, where you can Get over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, your Android, your Kindle, your MP3 player, whatever you listen to it on. You can subscribe to Audible, get your 30-day free trial, and listen to great authors such as Michelle Alexander and Ta-Nehisi Coates and... um, you can listen to the Harry Potter series. You can listen to the Martian. These are all like great books that I've listened to through Audible. And I have an Audible subscription. And I definitely don't regret it. And I don't think you will as well. So, um, you know, I strongly suggest you check it out. Um, you know, audiobooks have definitely enriched my life. And um, are going to my goal of listening to 100 books in a year. So, yeah. Um, Also you can support the podcast Through patreon.com Slash channel 10 podcast That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n Dot com Slash channel The number 10 and the word podcast And by going to That url You can pledge A certain amount of money Per episode whether it be A dollar whether it be a hundred whether it be A thousand whether it be a million and that will help us with costs of web hosting with website design with various other promotional things that go into creating a podcast and keep delivering you great content such as this episode with Sean Zotero. So, um, you know, we definitely appreciate you if you go to patreon.com slash channel 10 podcast. And if you go ahead and donate, we will shout you out on the show and we will provide your Twitter, your Instagram, whatever URL you want to provide. We will help you out a little bit.
1: I mean, help. you know what? And you yeah. know what? I mean, maybe even possibly have a
0: conversation with them. You might even have a conversation with you. So go ahead and go to patreon.com slash channel 10 podcast and pledge per episode, and you never know what can happen. And um, I think at this point, that's it. Um, So we can go ahead and start the show. All right. Let's go.
2: See you then, Channel 10. And we used to think that people would catch on. You no But if you're not from Queen, <laughs> if you don't yeah, got time, water, yeah, or whatever. Yeah. What up, like, what? you I got to do it, yo. CNN. Yo, world up, man. On it's a different the channel. channel, son. World up, Hold on, man. Hold up, watch the channel, son. Different plane now, man. It's all good. World up, all good, baby, in every hood, son. World up, yo. CNN, network, channel 10. It's on again. Network. Street it's niggas, it's grown men. Bold face, gather your face. Stay in place, yo, crime lace, cast more beef than Scarface. Yo, that CNN, Network, 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 Channel 10, Network, it's on again, street yo, niggas that's grown men. Bow face,
0: gather A- your face, A- stay face. in place, A- yo, A- crime lace, cast more beef yo. 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 We're back once again, it's the Channel 10 Podcast, and it's me, arr ticking in the building, and I'm alongside... Singar Superior. And today we have a very, very special guest in the building with us. We have uh, the host of one of the top podcasts in the hip hop world, and uh, he also, you know, has a pretty diverse uh, career in music and hip hop and journalism. We have Sean Satero. How's it going, Sean?
3: Hey, how are you guys? And you uh you pronounced the last name right. Not even uh people who've known me for years do that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. Um uh where's your uh, last name from?
3: Uh it's Italian. My it's... my dad's my dad's side is Italian. Okay. Okay.
1: Yeah. yeah I, re- I remember I think it was Don will he he made some kind of comparison to your last name and in, uh, in Serato, I think.
3: Yeah, yeah, he did. Yeah. He always, uh, you know, he always jokes that that's going to be my DJ name.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I'm not going to lie. I did that too at first. (laughs) Um, So where are you from originally?
3: I am originally from a tiny town uh, called East Windsor in New Jersey. It's kind of very near Princeton, kind of equidistant between New York and Philadelphia.
0: Okay. And uh, what was it like growing up there?
3: You know, I, I think like anyone else growing up, you just kind of think it's normal because you don't know anything different. Um, you know, very suburban, uh, I guess you could say like, it was very odd in that the small community within the town I lived in was one of the first like planned communities in the United States. And I think is maybe still one of the largest. Mm. So just, you know, uh, the only thing that made that stick out aside from the very strict restrictions on colors, you could paint your house and stuff Mm. was, uh, was the fact that it was largely like expat, uh, Brooklyn Jews, like people who had left New York city to, you know, start a family and move to the, you know, I guess even though it was like an hour over an hour away, it's still kind of counted as the suburbs of New York city. Mm. So, you know, very somewhat anomalous in that respect. But no, it was great. You know, it was great growing up there.
0: Mm -hmm. And um, what were some of your your early influences in music? What type of music uh, were your parents playing around the house if they did?
3: Oh, yeah, absolutely. My dad especially was always, like, singing around the house and stuff. He was, you know, he's a big, I mean, he was born in 44, so he was a very big Elvis guy, you know, Elvis kind of hated his, you know, sweet spot in terms of age. Mm. Uh, but he also loved, you know, the Beatles and the stones, um, and, you know, had a definitely had a soft spot for country music as well. Um, yeah, I think those were, you know, and there were, there were some, you know, as I got older and sort of started rifling through, my folks' vinyl collections, there were, you know, there were some odds and ends there that were surprising to me as well, definitely.
1: Mm. Mm. Now, did your father ever play, or your mother, um, play the Beach Boys around the house at all?
3: Yes, they did, actually. Um, and in fact, the Beach Boys was my first, probably my first concert that they took me to when I was very, very young. Really? Um, <laughs> yeah, but yeah, we definitely had the... Uh, the Endless Summer, that Greatest Hits, which I, I now have in my house, that I, I sort of have on permanent loan from them. Mm. So I certainly <laughs> knew that, that, uh, oh. that stuff pretty well. It wasn't, it wasn't until later, my, my sort of teenage years, that I got into their crazier, you know, pet sounds and, and beyond sort of stuff.
1: Yeah, well, uh, yeah, you know, I, I never hear too many people ever say that their parents, you know, play the Beach Boys, um, you know, in, in their in their household. And so I'm trying to figure out since people write about them so much, like, you know, who the hell is listening to
3: them? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we definitely had the the greatest hits, but you know, that's that's heavy on the on the sort of early surf stuff, the kind of like you know, Chuck Berry rip off era of the of the group. Yeah.
0: Are you a a Beach Boys or I mean or a Beatles person?
3: Oh, you read my mind!
4: <laughs> wow,
3: um, I think it depends on you know I, I love them both. I think it depends on the phase you catch me in. Mm. You know, uh, I've definitely gone through multiple phases of of both groups. Mm. Uh, I I would have to say I think the you know probably you know gun to my head as much as I hate that phrase I would I would have to say the Beatles just for kind of like the depth of their catalog overall and just the fact that they did so many things first uh I remember um you can stop me if this gets too boring but I Uh. remember hearing a lecture from uh Will Lee who is a a you know world-class session bass player who also plays in a Beatles cover band. And he sort of broke down all the things the Beatles did first. And it was, you know, the obvious things you might think of, first band to play in a stadium. And then, you know, things you might not think of, you know, first band to use, you know, feedback on, re- on a record and, you know, all this kind of stuff. So the, the amount of stuff that they mm. innovated is just staggering. Mm
1: well um i am a i'm a pretty big beach boys fan and actually um some days ago me and uh, me and um Artik, we had um a conversation about the many versions of uh of uh and reconstructions of smile mm-hmm. that um that we have between each other and I think the way that I always kind of try to explain to other people is that I say that um that the beach that that the beatles made uh great songs the beach boys made great albums.
3: Okay, I can see that. I mean, the thing about Smile that's so interesting is like there I don't think there'll ever be a definitive version. I mean, you know, I I I can hardly in some ways bring myself to listen to the the version Brian Wilson redid Mm -hmm. because it was just made in a different time in a different headspace. You know, it's not it's not definitive, no matter I think how much you would like it to be.
0: Yeah. That's it's true, almost but... like the life of Pablo. <laughs>
3: <laughs> exactly, exactly. Life of Pablo may be our modern day smile, right? Yeah. Like, it just never, never finished. Always being tweaked, and you know, maybe abandoned. And in twenty forty, Kanye will come out with what he will call the, you know, re-record it in its entirety. Yeah. Let's call it here, hoping, open for the twenty forty version. Life of Pablo is going to be great.
0: Yeah. <laughs> So um, what was your your first uh, introduction into being involved in music?
3: Wow. I think, you know, just as a kid, I was just, you know, singing in, you know, little grammar school choruses and plays and things like that, you know, always. But really when I was, I guess it was the summer before sixth grade, I started playing guitar. And mm-hmm. that was, you know, and I think that, would be kind of the real introduction when I sort of really started getting deeply involved.
0: Mm. And you, um, you play bass as well?
3: Yeah, I play bass. I, I that is, I play that more than guitar. You know, at some point along my journey, uh, I kind of flipped from being a guitarist who could double on bass to the other way around.
4: Mm.
0: Okay. So, um, and you started uh, playing in bands, correct?
3: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, growing up, I was in lots of different bands among friends. And then, you know, once I got to college, uh, you know, I went to a music school, went to Berklee College of Music in Boston. And while I was in Boston, got very heavily involved in the, you know, the rock scene over there and then moved to New York and started playing in bands and touring and doing session work and all, all of that kind of stuff that musicians have to do to make a living.
4: Mm-hmm. So
1: um so when you so when you went to college at Berkeley, were there any notable people um uh in that program during the time?
3: You know, there probably were and and I'm just forgetting. I know that, you know, uh John Mayer, I think, was there shortly after me. Uh and yeah, there were probably a few other people as well. I know that Paula Cole, who at the time I was there, had giant hits, was there right before me because mm-hmm. they wouldn't stop talking about her. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, uh, you know, there were, there, were a few, there were a few people here and there. I, I'm sure I'm doing the school a disservice by not having the the alums of, of my era there at the ready.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> okay, and um, I remember, um, I think, going back to uh, the, 100th episode, the 100th episode of The Cypher where uh, Don Will interviews you briefly... Um mm-hmm. you mentioned uh like really falling in love with with n w a so I'm assuming that you know when you got to, to got to Berkeley we're talking like mid mid nineties
3: yeah i was so there possibly, uh, or... to, to date myself yeah nine ninety five to ninety eight I was there yeah
1: okay um and so you so you got really um heavily involved in the rock scene there, and so I'm assuming that you probably frequented the channel quite a bit.
3: The channel died just before I got to the town.
4: Oh, okay. Yeah.
3: It, it, uh, people I knew talked about it fondly, but it was, by the time I started going to clubs and stuff, that place, was, that place was dead. I was kind of there for the last legs of the rat, but when I was there, you know, it was definitely, like, the Middle East and, and TTs were kind of ruling the roost as far as clubs of that size.
4: Mm. Well, um, and
1: so what was the uh, the hip-hop scene like in that area during the time?
3: Well, you know, the hip-hop scene was, you know, a lot of shows I remember being at, you know, primarily the Middle East downstairs, which is maybe like a 500-person venue in Cambridge.
4: Mm-hmm. Uh,
3: that was huge. There was a lot of, uh, there were a lot of shows there and that in various places in Boston on Lansdowne Street, it seemed like there were Shows were sort of trying to find a home. Um, You know, I remember they would have the annual Super Bowl Sunday freestyle contest every year that came to be a huge deal. And a lot of the shows I remember going to were a lot of the, you know, at that point, underground kind of Def Jux shows and things like that. I remember seeing Mr. Lift, you know, probably a dozen times over the years I was there. Mm -hmm. Uh, Things like that.
1: Um, what about a Southern and esoteric?
3: Yeah, absolutely. They were they were around, definitely on a lot of the bills that I saw back then.
0: Mm. Mm. Did you ever try your hand at rapping? Oh no, oh, <laughs> no.
3: I, I, you know, I, I joke only, only somewhat in jest that the world doesn't need another white rapper. Mm-hmm. Um, but also no. It, in fact, it's it's funny in some ways that I ended up where I did in that. You know, I started really, really getting into hip hop when I was going to music school and so much other music became, how are they doing that? Can I do that? What are they doing? And trying to analyze it deeply. And so rap to me was always the music that I didn't have to be concerned about. How are they doing that? I could just listen for enjoyment because the idea of making it, you know, never entered my mind. Uh, you know, little did I know I would later find a job analyzing hip hop, of course, you know, the way, the way the world works sometimes, I guess.
0: Do you feel that, um, attending music school, um, and the way that they train your ear, uh, that it takes away from the enjoyment of music sometimes? Because, um, you know, I went to school for, um, audio and, you know, the way that, you know, they train you to listen for compression and like how the mics are, Are during certain recordings and everything, sometimes it makes you listen to things in more of a technical way.
3: Sure, I I hear that. Uh, In general, I haven't had that much of a problem with it. I feel like the, you know, obviously I do hear certain things in terms of like, you know, harmony and and textures and things, but in general, that tends to add to my enjoyment rather Mm. than take away from it, at least for me.
0: Okay. And um, at this time, what were your aspirations? Um, were you were you trying to be like in a big rock band, or um, did you see your career path taking the path that it took?
3: I definitely did not see it taking the path <laughs> that it took. I can tell you that much. Uh, no, I, for a long time, you know, I played in rock bands, and I would find projects that I was passionate about and try to pursue them to the to the end until you know they. Uh, dissolve in some way or another. So I, I definitely envision myself, you know, being in a band. I don't know about like a star or whatever, but just kind of being in a in a band that would, you know, make a living and tour and you know, be able to be sustainable that way. I mean, that as as I'm sure you guys know, is very even that level of success is extremely extremely difficult to get and even more difficult to sustain. Yeah.
0: How did you, um, I um, I guess after college, uh, you started doing session work?
3: Yeah, there was definitely some of that, that didn't, that really came up more when I moved to New York city, which happened in like 2004. Mm. Uh, yeah, there was just, you know, it's something that, you know, you meet people and they need, you know, stuff played on albums or, you know, for gigs and things like that. And, and, uh, you end up doing it and you find yourself in all kinds of crazy situations. You know, I've done, uh, all sorts of gigs, you know, maybe post interview, I'll tell you some stories <laughs> so as, so as to protect the, uh, the innocent and the not so innocent. Uh, but yeah, you end up doing, you know, all kinds of stuff. I mean, you know, ended up playing, you know, everything from, you know, folk to rap rock and emo, you know, and everywhere in between. So, Yeah. Mm.
1: Um and so uh one of the the main bands that you were a part of uh in Boston, I believe, is uh, Helicopter, Helicopter, right?
3: Yeah. Uh, wow, you guys really did do your homework. Yeah, yeah. That was uh that was a group that, you know, of all the all the bands I played with, you know, was possibly the longest term and definitely kinda of did the most touring and stuff like that. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Um and that was and so and hel- so and that was that was before God boy?
3: No, that, wow, jeez, you really did go back. That was after, <laughs> uh, just, just after. Mm-hmm. Um, Jesus. Yeah, um, yeah, that was, that was just after. And okay. that was uh, and in Helicopter. Helicopter was the first, you know, project that I played bass in. Like, I ran into their, before I joined, I ran into their bass player, like, at a bus station in New York City. And he said, hey, I'm moving to New York. And a little light bulb went off and I said, okay, hey, I think I can do, I can do that. And, you know, ended up getting the spot.
1: Mm, Okay. And and then, so with Helicopter Helicopter, you guys toured like all throughout the East Coast and especially doing like a a lot of local um, venues in Boston.
3: We did a lot of stuff in Boston. We did a lot of touring throughout the U.S. Like we did the Midwest, uh, Southwest, the West Coast, just kind of. That was my real introduction to to life on the road with, with that group
1: and so um and so how was that like it was touring I mean, and everything like
3: that it was great i I did that for a long time with a with a bunch of different acts and i I loved life on the road. I loved the pace of it uh, I loved a lot about the rhythm of it uh, as it got toward the end of my time doing it, I did not love how much you know, you end up drinking on the road. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is a, this is a dynamic. If, if you listen to the cypher, you notice I talk about this sometime with, with uh, artists who tour a lot, your life becomes a perpetual party in a way that's often unhealthy because you arrive in town and people have been waiting, you know, sometimes weeks or months for you to show up. They have the next day off from work, you know, it's a party for them, but it's your job.
0: Right. I just listened to your your um, your episode with the Grouch and uh, Eli and they were talking about um, about, you know, the trappings of, 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 you know, alcohol on tour. And I thought it was pretty poignant. Um, um, I think it was um, I forget which one said it, but basically, um, you know, you know, drinking until stumbling and then and spending the next day trying to recover to do it all again for, you know, days in a row.
3: Yeah. They, they didn't make that sound very fun. (laughs) Yeah. But I, I know it. I mean, it's, it's, you know, you, you don't see it until you are home. Mm -hmm. And then you start thinking, you know, I remember myself thinking like, oh yeah, normal night, you know, I'll have, you know, no more than three beers before we play and then one on stage. And then after, you know, then no more than, you know, on a light night, it's, You know, two or three after the show, and you know, by the time you add them all up, you're like, "What? How much was I drinking every day?" You know, it it gets it'll it'll sneak up on you like that.
0: Mm. Wow, that's crazy. Mm -hmm. Do you still um Do you still you know drink from time to time or
3: occasionally? But it is it is cut down very very significantly
0: (laughs) from those (laughs) days. So um, after after the tour life, um, uh, what was next for you?
3: Well. You know, in the middle of all of that, mm. uh, Rap Genius kind of came up. Mm. Uh, I was not touring as much as I was teaching at that point, uh, teaching and, and doing session work and kind of getting settled in, in New York City. And, you know, Rap Genius kind of came up and, and you know, I did that. Initially, it was a hobby that seemed to take up every waking moment for a while. And then uh, it became a part-time job in, you know, not, not that much time in the scheme of things. And then eventually, for a while, a full-time job.
1: And and this is when and and so you stumbled across rap genius around the time when you were uh, making annotated notes of Jay Z lyrics for your girlfriend.
4: That was
3: <laughs> <laughs> that was actually a little bit before, but yes, okay. that yeah, that was uh. You know, uh, my, uh, my my partner and I, you know, we met in 2004, not long after I moved to New York. And this was, like, relatively early on in the process of getting to know each other. I had a day job on uh, on what a friend of mine used to call the free cell circuit. <laughs> yeah. Basically, you sit around and play Microsoft games all day and try not to get caught. Um, <laughs> And so I had plenty of free time and we, you know, we talking about hip hop and talking about Jay, and yeah, and I did that story that I recounted in the, in the interview with Don Will. And yeah, and then I stumbled across a, a website, you know, a few years later that did literally the same thing. And, and it felt like, you know, someone took my brain and put it on a computer. Mm-hmm.
0: Now, did you get involved um, before or after the, the uh, big investment that, that Rap Genius received?
3: Well before. Uh, when I started, it was literally just the founders and people they knew in college. I was the first person they didn't know personally to get involved with the site.
0: Are they uh, cool people? How was it working with them?
3: I mean, you know, in the early days, I wouldn't, despite, you know, living in New York, I wouldn't see them in person that much. You know, we would get together for, you know, the occasional party or birthday celebration or, you know, occasional meeting, things like that. But it was very much like working remote, but communicating, you know, all the time via email.
0: Mm. And, um, you know, when it became a full time job, um, that's when uh, your podcast first started, correct?
3: Yeah, it was right around then. Uh, It was, yeah, those were those sort of started around the same time I would have to kind of go back and check the calendar to see which came first. But yeah, the, the podcast came in 2012, which is, you know, right, right around that time. Um, And that was kind of a supplement to the other work I was doing at Rap Genius. I thought it was like, you know, a way to talk to people I wanted to talk to within the mission of the site, which was, you know, talking about their work, but do something beyond, Breaking stuff down line by line. Uh, although I should be, I should be perfectly clear that that mission was somewhat accidental. You know, the how it started was, you know, I just had a conversation that was originally going to be broken down line by line, but the whole thing proved really compelling, and so you know, ended up making a podcast out of out of this entire conversation, which was never the original intent. Mm.
0: And was that with Gene uh, Gray?
3: That was with Gene, yeah
0: okay. and um I guess uh as it uh progressed, um I guess you never probably thought that you would ever be doing a podcast. Were you into podcasts before that?
3: No, in fact, I had to uh I had to ask one of my more tech savvy friends, uh Arthur, if you're listening, thanks <laughs> for you know the the most basic tips on like. How, I mean, I knew what they were, but, you know, so the most basic tips on, like, how to do it, how to get set up, what company to go with, you know, I, I had no idea of the ins and outs of it. I mean, I had listened to tons of radio, so I knew, like, oh, it's like a radio show. And, you know, my, my template was basically, like, you know, yeah, was basically like a radio, it was like an interview-based, you know, radio show, public radio show, basically.
1: Mm-hmm. and then and then also your producer uh, Josh Cross um he also had experience with uh different podcast projects right
3: Yeah Josh came on you know very very early in the process uh not the very first episode but not that long thereafter and yeah he you know he had recorded music for a long time you know as a you know as a musician and stuff and then also got involved in podcasting um you know, he has a podcast that he produces. Uh, He is a stay at home father. So he has a a show called Modern Dads, a Modern Dads podcast that he produces, and he has been working on for a long time. And so he had experience, you know, doing that. And so it seemed like, you know, this is someone I grew up with, someone I've known, you know, years and years. And he very quickly became, you know, about as invested in the project as I am.
1: Hmm. And um, I and I must ask this question. Um, what's up with the Hamlet themed cover of Walk on the Wild Side? <laughs>
3: <laughs> oh man, you're checking the checking the the, the dark web here. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, that was uh, Josh mentioned that on the bio as a joke. That was uh, it's true though. I mean, that was something we did in in a high school for a high school English class. Um, I forget what the actual assignment was, but somehow. You know, somehow we turned, you know, make some something about Hamlet into into that.
1: Hmm. I mean, well, you know, I I can, I can, I guess I can kind of see that with uh, with Walk on the Wild Side, the lyrics and all. But uh, yeah, it's one of my favorite songs, so I was pretty curious about that.
3: Yeah, Yeah. I'm I'm sure we rewrote the lyrics very poorly.
0: So, um, I guess uh, during your podcast journey, um, you know um, have you been able to develop relationships with any of the artists who you've uh, interviewed?
3: Yes, absolutely. Uh, both you know the artists and and some of the other people as well who aren't artists but you know play other roles absolutely um, you know, some of them not you know with a lot of them, you know, they come in and do the interview, and I will you know, interact with them periodically and it's friendly, but there, sure, there are a few who have become, who have become like friends in the, in IRL, I guess, for lack of a better term. <laughs> yeah.
0: And, um, you know, from your first, uh, episodes, um, um, up until now, what would you say are some of like the, uh, the tips and tricks that you've learned, um, throughout your podcast journey?
3: Wow. That is a great question. I I think, You know, as silly as it sounds, one thing I've learned is that if something is interesting to me, it is likely to be interesting to other people. Mm. Uh, My method, such as it is to prepare for an interview, is just ingest a lot of stuff and see what of all of that sticks out for me. Mm. Uh, It's, you know, may sound selfish or whatever, but I've found that it leads to good interviews Mm. uh is to just kind of go through a mass of things that the subject has been involved in you know what whatever it is uh you know songs they've done books they've written interviews they've given and just i I don't even really have a word for what it is but find you know something interesting that sticks out and kind of go from there uh the other thing is you know stay close to the microphone (laughs) Now, um, now when you, when you have
0: guests, are you, are you always familiar with them or sometimes is it just like, you know, you're completely learning about everything that they've done for the first time?
3: Oh, you're saying when I, after I decide to have them on the show. Right, right. Okay. Uh, it is, you know, it's a mix. Uh, you know, oftentimes I'll know about them. Uh, or know of them, or you know have at least some knowledge of what they do and who they are. But you know, often you know, almost every time in researching a show, I learn something. Whether it's you know, listening to someone's whole catalog when I was only familiar maybe with their name or with a few guest appearances, or you know, finding out the the hidden juvenilia of you know someone like. Fonte, or something where I knew a lot of his work but didn't know, you know, that the hidden secret album he did in 2000 before anyone knew him.
0: Yeah, that was that was crazy. I, I'm I have to go check that out. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, uh, a um, I would say probably one of my most favorite interviews, um, episodes on the cypher was uh, uh, the uh, Jake One episode. And it's it's so in depth about you know the the culture the hip hop culture of um I believe Ohio and stuff like that and I'm just curious to know like how long did it take you to um to prepare for that interview or did you just kind of like know s- certain things just from just reading in general
3: I, I mean on the scene? I knew some stuff of Jake ones you know a lot of the uh, rhyme sayer stuff but no I, I just kind of like I don't know if I could say an exact number of hours, but I I prepared for it until I ran out of time, basically. Mm -hmm. You know, I prepared for it until the day before when I finally had to sit down and go through my 25 pages of notes and turn them into questions somehow.
4: Mm -hmm.
3: You know, but yeah, that one in particular, because his discography was so broad, I really... You know, with producers, I will try really hard to go through, you know as close to everything they've done as I can, time permitting and with him, you know, especially some of the early stuff, you know, I I found that super interesting because I wasn't familiar with a lot of the stuff he had done, you know, early on in Seattle or whatever. So it was, you know, it was, yeah, it was good to go back and, and hear that and say, well, how does that relate to what he would do later? And how did he grow stylistically?
4: Mm
0: -hmm. What are some of your, uh, your, your favorite interviews that you've done?
3: You know, people always ask this and, and I should have some stock answer ready, mm-hmm. uh, but, you know, there, there are so many that have been really incredible moments. I think, you know, the one, the very first one with Jean Grey stands out because of its unexpected nature. You know, I was a huge fan. I'd never met her. I didn't know what to expect. And. The fact that the conversation was so great and the, the fact that she seemed so grateful to be asked questions about her work uh, really showed me that I was onto something and that made that episode really special. Um, I always mention the one with Abiy O'Doun Oye Wole of The Last Poets, just because that one was just so epic, you know? It was 50 years of history you know, uh, just going through everything from, you know, him moving to Harlem and starting The Last Poets to, you know, getting arrested and spending time in prison. Just all sorts of crazy stuff and and kind of his take on various movements in in, you know, basically black art and music. Uh, you know, from someone of of that kind of stature, like to spend an afternoon hearing that stuff, that was incredible. Mm -hmm. Uh, Nas, you know, getting to be part of an interview with Nas at, you know, at South by Southwest talking about Illmatic. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I would say definitely the 45 King. Uh, That was pretty wild getting to go to his place and see the, you know the phone booth he had and the turnstile he had inside his house, and you know getting to talk to him about all of his uh, all the stuff he's done and seeing all the memorabilia in his house. You know the the actual Annie record that he sampled Hard Knocked Life from is you know up framed on the wall. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, so things like that, you know, those are those are definitely some highlights. I mean, all, you know, I could look and and. You know come up with dozens more i'm sure you know each each interview has its unique things definitely
4: mm,
1: yeah uh, i would uh, i would say another one um is the, uh, your your uh, interview with uh gabriel roth um, oh yeah yeah that Gabe. was yeah. yeah yeah that you, you seem really excited and um it's just so much information that i mean that i, I also learned especially um i would say most importantly, probably um, the inner workings of, you know, of his record label and how and how he he approaches it.
3: Yeah, that was that was a very, very unexpected connection, actually, through Josh, through through the show's producer. Mm-hmm. And and yeah, it turned out great. I was really happy to be able to talk to him. And, and you're right. It absolutely was unexpected.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, um, do you ever have any awkward interview moments and how do you deal with those?
3: Sure. Uh, the Johnny Rotten interview was full of awkward moments. Uh, and in fact, when you listen back, it does not, or when I listen back, I do not hear the same tension that I felt, uh, during almost the entire conversation. Mm. Um, so that was, that was, there were very tense moments on there. Uh, you know, I mean, he, that's kind of his thing, right? It's been his thing for forty years to be <laughs> a little difficult. So, yeah. <laughs> you
4: know,
3: I wouldn't, I, I shouldn't be surprised. So, yeah, if you listen back, you know, you'll, you'll hear some tense moments in there. There was, there was some other stuff, you know, sort of before the interview. Nothing too bad, but just, you know, he, we had a bunch of people in there because a lot of people wanted to meet him and take pictures and stuff, and you know, uh, so the atmosphere was maybe a little. You know the room is maybe a little more crowded than he would have liked, and things like that. Um, yeah, I mean there have definitely been, you know, a handful of of moments. You know, you what happens more often is someone talks about something, and then you get the phone call the next day mm. where they say, oh, you know, hey, I said this, but and those are those are always uh, those are always difficult. As are situations where, you know. Person A says something and then, you know, you get a call from person B who says, well, that's not how it went down. How could you tell your listeners that and things like that? I think that happens more than, you know, actual tense interview moments, although those definitely, you know, those definitely occur as well.
0: Mm. Now, your episodes, uh, the editing is so detailed, um, the way you drop in clips and have kind of annotations throughout the interview, um, I guess almost like an audio form of Rap Genius. Um, How much editing and how long does that take? And what's the editing process like for for, uh, each interview that you do?
3: You know, that is largely, largely Josh is doing, you know, he and I kind of go back and forth about like who spends more time on each episode, you know, me researching or him editing. And, you know, it's probably neck and neck. Mm -hmm. Uh, he is fantastic and extremely detail oriented. Uh, you know, we're texting back and forth constantly all day about the smallest minutia of the show that no one will ever, ever hear, uh, except us, you know, no one would ever notice. Uh, you know, I will go through, uh, and listen to the unedited interview and make my initial notes of, you know, Hey, I cough here. Hey, it'd be great to put in these 10 seconds of this song over here. And, uh, you know, and kind of give him that as a skeleton
4: mm-hmm.
3: and he will take it from there and turn it into, you know, the end result. Hmm.
1: Is there a, uh, is there, um, a story behind the opening uh uh beat to uh to the cypher
3: you know oh the where it just we use the different poles the the brand Nubian and and red man and all that
1: oh uh, well, um well yeah well actually yeah, I, didn't, I didn't even think about that yeah i mean yeah like that as well as the uh the beat that comes in by is it 57
3: ghosts uh yeah 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 42 ghosts yeah, oh, yeah 42 that is I, ca- I cannot reveal 42 ghosts identity it's top secret although i do know it mm. uh, okay forty two ghosts is a is a pseudonym for a producer uh who wishes to remain anonymous but under the forty two ghost name there is other music so i that you know that has been put out under that name so I encourage you to check that out mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, I met you know that person uh and you know knew that they were a producer and I was looking for new theme music and approached him or her and they said uh they said great and sent me a couple beats and this was the you know the one to me that that was the best that fit kind of you know kept things moving you know was interesting but also not enough to distract you from me narrating over it
1: hmm. now um uh, now, was there a um, like a difficulty from making that transition from outside the lines to um, the cipher at all?
3: Yeah, I mean, we took we ended up taking a few weeks off and making you know making some best of shows, making some quick best of shows, and and taking some time off to revamp afterwards. Uh, a lot of the difficulties were just technical, you know, choosing a new name. You know, getting a, getting a logo, switching the name on iTunes, getting a new website, getting all of the sort of social media that goes along with that. So, you know, those are some of the difficulties. Um, some of the good things about it was it enabled me to make this show closer to what I sort of always envisioned it. Like, in my head, I I always had this idea for adding song clips and things like that. And for a variety of reasons, when it was outside the lines, uh, I couldn't do that. You know, there were time restrictions. I didn't have as good a grasp on uh, fair use issues, all, all kinds of things. So, mm-hmm. you know, but uh, mostly it was kind of a time crunch. And, and so, you know, and then once we revamped it, it was like, OK, well, I can actually make this a show that I always wanted it to be all along.
0: And that was a question that I had. Um, Do you ever have any issues with iTunes with the uh, show clips that you uh, have the music clips?
3: I I do not. Uh, Although you know, hopefully, hopefully, no one at iTunes is listening. (laughs) 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 No, I I believe strongly that this is fair use. Uh, I have never had any issues with any of the artists or people we've had on the show using any you know using of the excerpts. They're all thrilled. Many of them, as if you're regular listeners, I'm sure you know, many of them, in fact, provide me with rare or hard-to-find or unreleased material to use on the show. Um, You know, stuff that they made as teenagers or before they blew up or that's out of print or whatever or under a different name or, or anything. You know, we've had plenty of examples of that of people, you know, Handing that to me to want you know to use on the show, but yeah, I believe very strongly that it's fair use. You know, we only use excerpts and they're illustrative. It is in no way a substitute for hearing the full song. Right, mm.
1: and um, you know, and you know, going back to uh, you know, to to the transition of the podcast, um, I can only imagine how I guess tedious it was because I, I imagine that you know you guys had to re-upload, um, you know. Um, A lot of these episodes, you know, because now we hear um, if it's something from from when it was outside the lines, you know, you're you're listening to an episode of the cypher before it was the cypher and stuff like that.
3: That was bless his heart. Josh really led the charge on that. Uh, There was definitely, you know, had the idea of like doing the intro and then adding it on and negotiating that with, you know, itunes and libsyn and you know adding it to the mp3 however he did it and our our web guy at that time paul however they negotiated that you know it it took a long time we had to do we had to do that you know several episodes at a time over the course of you know several weeks to to get it done Mm
4: -hmm.
3: i mean long term you know in in an infinite universe with an infinite amount of time I would love to go back to all of the first seventy odd episodes and uh, sort of do them in the new format, add song clips and things like that. Uh, that is a very labor-intensive process. I don't know if that will happen anytime soon.
1: Mm-hmm. And um, and also, you know, uh, what happened? Uh, what's going on with uh, Nicole Altero? Mm-hmm. Uh. Am I
3: saying yeah, that she, if I'm saying that? To- Otero, yeah, she pops up in a couple of the early episodes, as you know, and yeah. in fact I think even does you know, the interview with Bilal that's somewhere in the archives, and, and is part of the interview with Nas. Uh, she was, when I was at Rap Genius, she was the head of artist relations there. She left shortly before I did. Uh, she is out in California doing amazing things with uh, video, working with directors and things like that. And also, uh, last I checked, was doing great work with uh, Blackout for Human Rights, that amazing organization that just put on that huge concert in Flint.
4: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Cool.
0: Now, um, I guess when it came time to leave Rap Genius, what was behind that decision, and and what was your uh, your path next?
3: Well, you know, there is only so much I can say about that for a, for a variety of complicated reasons. But essentially, uh, a lot of the original editorial team ended up leaving around the same time. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was just a difference in approach, a difference in focus, you know. Um, I guess, you know, a lot of the things that the company has gone on to do, you know, uh, I think are great. But was not as passionate about as the idea of using this platform to annotate hip hop lyrics. Mm.
0: So um, you've since become a contributor to uh, to various publications. Um, you've uh, been published in in at uh, the Atlantic and and Forbes. Uh, how did that come about?
3: So the Atlantic thing uh, happened actually while I was at Rap Genius. You know, one of the ways we built our name was contributing to other outlets so I had amazing opportunities there to write for all kinds of places uh Forbes did come later Uh, shortly after I left I I had become friends with uh the man who is now the senior entertainment editor over there so when I left a genius I had lunch with him and I said hey you know do you think that maybe I could write for you guys and he was kind enough to say yes and i've been you know doing that ever since maybe you know a, a column a week or so of, of all sorts of music business related things
0: and are you involved in any way in the uh, in the cash kings hip hop cash kings list
3: i have you know not in choosing the people mm-hmm. but yes in helping to put the package together of the of the cash kings and the and the new cash princes you know i have been involved in writing some of the pieces and doing some of the videos that they have to go along with the packages yes mm. and that was that was great because it gave me a chance to talk to birdman which was wild
0: <laughs> can you uh, detail that experience uh,
3: uh i pick up the phone and i hear his right hand man say i've got baby on the line for you and that was something i thought i would never hear
4: <laughs>
3: and uh That was actually really interesting. He was, you know, like you would imagine from hearing other interviews with him, you know, reticent and short answers and and not super revealing. But I was lucky in that I was talking to him about, you know, pre-1998, right? The, what is sometimes called the first generation of cash mining artists Mm -hmm. uh, before their deal with Universal Records. And so he was a little more outgoing talking about, you know, Businesses his dad used to own, and you know their work pen and pixel, and selling records throughout the south. You know, it wasn't like I was asking him, you know, so Lil Wayne sued you or something that might you know <laughs> cause him to clam up. You know, with stuff that was far enough in the past that he was, you know, by by normal Birdman standards, very forthcoming. So I'm I'm very grateful for that.
0: Now speaking, um, you know, I guess on Uh, Like a label such as cash money, especially during that time, I saw that you said um, in an interview about how I guess the new Internet age kind of um, eliminates the regional differences in um, hip hop music. Um, And I was wondering, um, you know, how you feel about that now and if you still can pinpoint any type of regional sounds that are coming up or if it's all just one uh, kind of mishmash of people just using different styles.
3: That's a very good question. I actually just wrote something about this for The Observer. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you check it out on observer.com, you can see my long-winded thoughts about this very issue. Uh, essentially, you know, it it seems like there are, you know, things that are recognizable as regional styles, but they are a lot more mixed up. Mm-hmm. You know, you will hear a group from Atlanta like Migos using a flow like that triplet flow that is associated with Memphis. You know, you will hear, um, you know, a rapper from Canada, you, you know, Drake using chopped and screwed styles that are associated with Houston. Uh, so it seems like the individual bits of styles are there, but you know, they are, mixed up
0: now what what region of style do you kind of gravitate towards the most
3: well it depends on my mood uh Mm -hmm. you know i love bounce uh so you know it was obviously from new orleans Mm -hmm. um really love that but there is also so much houston music uh that i love i i am not by any means an expert on the, on the sort of chopped and screwed side of things, but the more sort of like rap a lot and zero and, and uh, K Reno and, and those people uh, you know, and face and whomever I I absolutely love.
0: Mm. That's uh, interesting because, you know, um, especially you know, coming from the Northeast, I guess, you know, especially when I was coming up, I used to have a bias, you know, and I didn't really listen to too much of that stuff. And then going back when I'm older, I'm like, wow, like there's like a lot of musicianship and a lot of things that I kind of missed, um, you know, in in certain places like Houston and um, even like some of the early Atlanta music and, and different places like that
3: oh absolutely yeah i mean i you know definitely love you know shy d and all that kind of like early you know early 90s atlanta based stuff definitely and then you know obviously where it went after that with with uh the dungeon family and all their affiliates was you know was incredible and and like you said very very musical
0: now do you still play at all
3: I do sometimes, yeah. Uh, I actually just played, <laughs> did a session, uh, an album with a friend just a few weeks ago. So occasionally, it's if it's, Stein, right? yeah, yeah. Oh wow, Jesus! Look at you, really, really going deep here. <laughs> yes, Scott, uh, my friend Scott Stein, who is a wonderful uh, songwriter and uh, and pianist, uh, did an album with him that is forthcoming. I believe he's putting the finishing touches on it right now. Um, so occasionally, yeah, if there are people I've worked with in the past, uh, who ask me, I will do stuff, but, you know, far, far less frequent now than it used to be.
0: And, um, I see that you've also, um, had uh, speaking engagements at, at, uh, various universities and at the Schaumburg. And, um, I was wondering what, what, uh, you know, you usually talk about during your speaking engagements.
3: It depends, you know, sometimes they will be themed, uh, you know, different i've done things that were panels so obviously there's there's topics there um the most recent one which was at the clive davis institute at nyu uh dan charnas former guest of the cypher asked me to come in and talk about soundalikes uh you know the the records that are you know versions of hit songs done by you know essentially no-name artists that are meant to sound exactly like the original version. Mm. Uh, I wrote a long article about that last year for Q Point uh, that Dan edited. And so, you know, he obviously knew I wrote about it. So he asked me in to lecture about that. So I got to talk about that for a while.
0: Mm. Now, um, I know that Dan is involved in, in, um, in television work. Have you done any television or film work?
3: Uh, I am just starting that now, actually. Uh, I, there is not that much I can say about it, but, uh, there is what will hopefully be a documentary series, uh, about hip hop that is in its very, very early stages now that I am working on. So I, I will, as that, you know, pokes its head above water a little more, I would love to come back and talk about it.
0: Oh, well, that'd be great. <laughs> I really appreciate <laughs> yeah. that. Yeah. Um, and I guess, um, uh, you know, during the Cypher, um, you know, I noticed that, um, you know, a lot of other podcasts, they tend to have a lot of, like, advertisements. Um, and it seems like you uh, are really focused on Patreon. Where do you see, like, the development of the Cypher and, you know, developing, you know, you know, relationships with advertisers or, um, do you have any plans for that in the future?
3: I am certainly not against it. You know, I'm not against money. Mm. (laughs) 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 The cypher takes a lot of time and a lot of effort on, on, you know, all of our parts, Mm. uh, the, the, you know, uh, Josh and I and Aziza, who's been, uh, uh, doing a fantastic job interning with us. Uh, I would love to have resources to make all that time worth everyone's while. You know, no one's time is free. Uh, I'm not against it. It hasn't happened yet. I am definitely open. If any prospective advertisers are listening, you know, <laughs> me up. Uh, but you know, I also enjoy at this point, the freedom of not having to think about, you know, uh, you know, sponsors are in theory buying the show as it is, but you know, they're, I know that nothing's ever that simple, right? And uh, and so I enjoy not having to worry about, you know, content or you know, what if someone makes a joke about audiobooks? Will I have to take it out if Audible gets mad or whatever? You know, any anything like that.
0: Right, but um, I do see that you know, I guess your your labor of love has has at least resulted in uh, uh, critical acclaim. Uh, How does it feel being recognized by uh, various publications and other, you know, podcasters as well for the work that you've been doing?
3: It's great. Uh, I love it. It, it means a lot that people get it because, you know, 99% of the time, the show is something that exists in, you know, on my computer and in texts between me and Josh and in, you know, frantic emails, trying to book people and, uh, and, you know, listening to the interview for the fifth time, trying to figure out if this edit sounds funny or not. Mm -hmm. So it is really, really good to see that the end result is appreciated. Uh, you know, I think that it's, you know, not to, not to, you know, come off as as you know uh i don't know arrogant or whatever but i i think it is a really really good show i think it's unique and i think it my hope for it is to continue to serve essentially an archival function you know that the the show as a whole can provide you know a piece of you know an oral history of of hip hop culture you know i by no means am i saying it's definitive it is a small piece but i think it it can it is serving that function and and so to see that recognized and to see that people like the individual pieces that makes me really happy uh and I, and i love especially hearing you know people say oh i i never heard them talk about that you know in in preparation for the shows I read and listen to a lot of interviews, so I know how repetitive they are.
4: Mm. And I know how difficult <laughs> it
3: is to break out of that and ask something new. And so, you know, getting told that, you know, people recognize that is is very fulfilling.
0: Now, with a lot of your uh, interviews, um, I know that you do a lot. Um, you do some uh, via Skype and you do some uh, via person as well, right? Yeah. And so, um, you know, what are the pros and cons of each?
3: Well, surprisingly, uh, oftentimes the pros of Skype include sound quality. In mm. that, if someone does, you know, end-to-end recording, which I, I should have offered to do for you guys, my apologies, I wasn't thinking. Uh, the results, sound-wise, often will be better than if you are in a room with somebody. Mm-hmm. Um, And the other advantage of Skype, of course, is that it enables you to talk to people when you can't be in the same physical place. Right. You know, if if an artist just isn't going to be in New York for months for whatever reason or maybe ever, uh, it's great to have the option of talking to someone wherever they are, you know, Europe or California or Hawaii or, you know, wherever in the world they may be, uh, you can still have the same Conversation. So those are the advantages of Skype. The disadvantage um, is just, you know, there there is something to being in the same room with someone and being able to see their eyes. Uh, in Skype, you know, there tends to be sometimes a little more crosstalk because, you know, you can't, it's harder to get a sense of when a person is finished speaking if you can't see them, you can't pick up on the in-person, you know, verbal and physical cues, you know, that you get when you are in a, in a room with someone.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Tell us
4: about
0: it. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Um, and, um, I was just curious, um, To know, you know, what your experience was like uh, uh, dealing with uh, Sean Price during your interview with him. Um, You know, um, I just listened to your interview with uh, Rusty Jux and it just, you know, made me think, um, you know, not everybody was lucky enough to get to to be, you know, in the same room as someone such as Sean Price. And and, uh, what were your reflections on it now?
3: It was incredible just it was so funny Uh, you know essentially I, I, I don't remember if I talked on on air about this but essentially you know what you heard on my Sean Price episode is what happened you know he came in we asked him to break down lyrics he did he kept us all in stitches for several hours he even did you know, agreed to do an impromptu comedy skit that is, you know, buried somewhere in the, in the nether regions of YouTube now. Um, you know, just based on some, something funny he said. He said something funny, and, and one of the guys who was there was like, hey, can we tape that? Can you say that again? And he was totally game. Um, kept us all in stitches the whole time. And then at a certain point just said, okay, that's it, I'm tired, and got up and walked out. <laughs> so perfect, you know, in, in some ways, you know, from from everything I've heard from people who knew him better than I did, the quintessential Sean Price experience.
4: Mm. <laughs> I can
0: imagine. <laughs> um, and I guess um, I'm curious to know what, what music you're listening to now.
3: Well, what am I listening to right now? A lot of it is, you know, a lot of what I listen to is just research for the show, honestly. Right. You know, that definitely takes up a lot of listening time. Uh, so, you know, coming up for the, you know, for the Fonte show was, you know, a lot of Little Brother, a lot of Foreign Exchange, mm-hmm. um, a lot of different things like that. Um, there, what have I been listening to lately? You know, definitely trying to get a handle on the new Kanye record. Yeah. Um, I have to shout out uh, my friend, AG the Coroner, just put out a new album the other day. That is great. Mm. Um, so, yeah, those are those are definitely some of the things. And a lot of Brand Nubian, I have been, you know, just discovered somehow that uh, an album of stuff uh called the Now Rule Files, that was stuff that they did around the time of their first album, but that for one reason or another didn't make the record. Mm. And I had no idea that this existed. I'm sure it was released years ago and I just somehow it escaped me. Um but yeah, been enjoying that. Also Cambada, who I just interviewed today, who's an upcoming guest, uh, has a new record out called DMT, uh, that is fantastic.
4: Mm. Mm
0: have to uh to check that out I've never heard of a cambada yeah
4: neither.
0: and um i guess um i've seen you know you asked this question or um, i've seen other people ask this question of you before but um if you had to have a top five or so MCs, uh what would be
3: on your list oh man that this this question good wow uh you know, again, I should I should have a I should have a pat, you know, cute sort of funny answer for this, but uh, I would have to say, you know, Jay would be up there, uh, Jay Z. Just something about, you know, in addition to whatever you can say about his flow, about you know, and anything you want to say about you know his his lyrics, his puns, anything like that, just. I love the fact that there is a consistent story throughout his whole career. You mm. know, every verse he spits relates back to his larger narrative. And that is something that I, I always love and relate to in, in artists. What's your uh, favorite uh, Jay Z album?
1: I was going to ask that. Yeah. <laughs> wow. <laughs> uh,
3: you know, I think like anyone else it toggles between reasonable doubt and blueprint, but I would say pro- probably blueprint just, something about it about the the combination of the music and the and the lyrics you know has always struck a a chord with me in ways that i i don't even know that i can fully explain i think we go with uh american gangster yeah wow the the dark horse choice no that is (laughs) that is 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 definitely a great and overlooked record as well absolutely um yeah, I you know, I uh you know, depending on the mood I'm in, you know, there's I know that Volume 1 is much maligned and there are two or three terrible songs on there, but you know, also some of his best work is on that record. Mm.
1: As well as the uh you know, the classic Memphis Bleak intro. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh, for for
3: Volume 2. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, volume 2. Absolutely. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, okay. that's you know, that is one of the best things Bleak ever did. <laughs> <laughs> no shots no shots
0: oh man i'm one of the biggest memphis bleak fans <laughs> in the world
1: yeah. yeah we we actually both are
0: yeah
3: <laughs> Oh <wow>. okay nice <laughs>
0: uh, but uh, who else is on your list
3: wow okay um so jay uh i would say uh eminem is up there um you know i don't mess with much of his stuff past encore Honestly, but those first, the, you know, the first three albums, I think, for me, are, are just so seminal that, you know, and honestly, even now, you know, he will, I'm still always curious as to what he's going to do. Yeah. You know, and there's still always, always mind-blowing stuff. Um, I think that I would put uh, Rockham up there. Mm-hmm. Uh, For influence, for, you know, the power of his voice, for his content. Um, Yeah, I mean, what, you know, what can you say about him that hasn't been said? You know, he kind of invented the modern way of rapping. You know, there's kind of like a before and after Rakim in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. Um, Big... Uh, just because Big did everything well. You know, there are a lot of artists who do one or two things particularly well, but he was well-rounded in, in a way that is almost inhuman. Uh, you, know, the, you know, the party songs and the storytelling and, uh, you know, sort of more hardcore rapping and, you know, whatever. Like, anything, any type of song you want to mention Uh, he did it amazingly well. And that is so, so, so rare. So he definitely belongs there. I only got one more slot, huh? You're killing me over here. (laughs) I feel like, uh, I feel like I'm being very New York centric. Um, you know, so let me, let me see if I can, I can widen, widen the scope a little bit here. Um, you know i I might have to say um, zero from Houston uh mm-hmm. just something about his you know emotion and his power is like so so uh moving to me,
4: mm-hmm.
3: and I think you know i he's like you know i I always think of him as like you know and this this may be um." you know blasphemous for some but i always feel he's like tupac but better mm. he has that kind of like raw emotion thing Pac pock had but to me it's sort of in some ways even more affecting and and more sort of honed
0: that's interesting because um i remember when i first heard freddie gibbs i kind of got that same feeling and i know you're, you're a freddie gibbs fan as well absolutely yeah yeah. So, but, uh, yeah, yeah. I messed with zero too. Um, especially the way he can kind of harmonize as well as, 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 you know, flow.
3: Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You can sing. That's the other thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah right. Um, yeah. And I- I'm sure there are 83 people I forgot. Uh, and you know, they make me sound like an idiot and I, and I will be kicking myself tomorrow and <laughs> of like, I meant what I meant to say was, but you know, that's, as good, a, as good a top five as any, you know, I think it, it, depends, on, it depends on when you catch me. Yeah. Uh, I can't overlook, you know, in terms of artists who have been influential to me personally, mm-hmm. uh, Chuck D and, and Cube are both, you know, second to none on that, on that list in terms of, like, affecting how I view the world and how I understand, you know, both music and, and the, the wider world.
0: Mm -hmm. now um i was curious um you know speaking on chuck d and cube um you know i was just wondering how how does race play a factor um throughout your journey through hip-hop
3: well i mean that's that's a that is a very good question and the Uh, reason
0: why i ask um is because um um in your interview with with uh fonte there was a clip and um he uh, there's an audio clip of a song that he was rapping on, and I forget exactly what song it was, but he used the term "cracker," and like I kind of cringed when I heard it, and I was just wondering, you know, you know, your feelings on certain lyrics in hip hop, um, and you know how they affect you when it comes to race.
3: Well, that never bothers me. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can you can use that all day. That is not. Uh, I don't, I don't feel like that is a slur that is in any way equivalent to, uh, you know, any racial slur, you know, directed against, you know, uh, basically any, any minority. I, I, you know, that, that never bothers me. That's, that's interesting that that, that that stuck out. Um, I, I think it it affects things in a lot of ways and, and I'm sure a lot of ways that I'm not even fully aware of.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, there have been, you know, white people in hip-hop culture from the beginning right. uh, in various ways. Uh, certainly, you know, I, I... And I try to be conscious of, of this in a lot of respects. Uh, I try to be, you know... I think as inquisitive and, and respectful as possible and try to approach, you know, hip hop culture, uh, you know, as someone who is passionate about it and engaged with it, but who also realizes like, in some ways I will always be an outsider. Mm. Um, And that's not, sad, it's not a tragedy, it's not anything to get upset about, it's just a thing, you know. There are ways in which I will be, you know, inside and outside simultaneously. And some of you know, some of that is due to race. Mm-hmm. Um you know I also, you know, try to be aware of in myself, uh, trying not to be uh oh God, Dante Ross had a phenomenal name for this that I am I am blank oh, oh he calls it white on white crime which I think is a phenomenal name this is Dante Ross's name for you know wanting to be the, the down white boy right wanting to be the only white person in the room mm-hmm. and as a result looking askance at other white people in, in hip hop spaces uh, so I, I try to be aware of and check that tendency in myself uh, as well um, I don't know. I mean, it, it you know, it plays in in all sorts of ways. I think uh, you know, it's it's funny because actually, just today, uh, you know, I was I was thinking about some of the stuff. I paid a visit to the a school in Mecca, uh, the the five you know the school for the nation of gods and earth for mm. a meeting with someone who worked there, and you know, I I try you know and i get you know i get i think why you know belief systems like that arose you know they arose out of horrible endemic systematic racism and so if you're being beaten down you know what makes more sense than to say not only am i above this i'm actually god right you know and so i i try to you know i guess use whatever outsider status I have to really try to look at and understand things on other people's terms the best I can. Mm. Um, I don't know, feeling a little a little muddled in, in my answer, so that's kind of the best, you know, the best I can do. I guess it's, it's omnipresent, and I, I don't try to, you know, certainly can't hide that I'm white talking about black music in a black art form, uh, but I try to be you know respectful and aware of that every step of the way
0: mm. I mean I think that sometimes um, being an outsider looking in is just as important as an inside looking out because it's it sometimes can be two different perspectives, and you know if you're only focusing on one sometimes you miss um, what the other view might be. So I think that what you do is definitely important. Um, especially, you know, you know, coming from an outside of view because it, you don't necessarily have room to assume. So you ask all the questions, you know?
3: Okay. Well, thank you. I, I hope that, I hope, that that's, the, <laughs> I hope <laughs> that that's the case. I think, I think so. Yeah. I mean, I, I think you're right. I think there is like, you know, yeah, I think there is room for that, that kind of, that kind of perspective. Absolutely
0: i know sin you had a question about
1: the Schomburg. oh yeah yeah um yeah so um i did a uh like a summer institute at the Schomburg in like 2012 and um i remember there was a uh some event that they had that involved dougie fresh and a whole bunch of um other hip-hop um uh i guess legends and um i was curious to know uh you know what your talk was um that that you were a part of when you were there um
3: Sure. That was that was a panel with the with the founders of Rap Genius. So that was like
4: mm.
3: I believe it was a you know a panel about like hip hop and technology. I would have to kind of go back to the <laughs> the flyer to see exactly what it was about, but yeah, that was I was part of a panel there with with the founders kind of talking about yeah, talking about hip hop and technology, talking about at that point the you know what was at that point Rap Genius and you know what it did and and its promise
1: and know uh, what What year was that
3: this must have been probably around that time i would guess i don't it wasn't part of the event you're talking about mm-hmm. but it must have been you know 20 2013 maybe somewhere around there
1: oh god man i, I just miss all the good stuff um, <laughs> um and I, I do have another question since you know you were in boston for quite a for quite a while um you know me and uh, and Artic, we tend to kind of go back and forth in certain ways about Seven L and Esoteric, and mm-hmm. um, I, I know that uh, you know Artic he's a he's a fan of like um the uh Face project with uh, them and Inspector Deck. and um I, r- I was really impressed by Seven L solo work from 2007, you know from Ego Clapper, um his project his that mixtape that he had with uh, Esoteric versus Gary Newman, and then the one that um, esoteric, esoteric versus japan and i was curious to know um you know since you were in that region during that time and assuming that you've listened to it um what are your thoughts on like those three projects well, and like seven l's output during that time i
3: i have to say i'm not familiar with those mixtapes. I, mean, I, I, I had left i'd left boston by like 2004
1: uh-huh. uh
3: so i was not as in you know as in the scene at that point um i love zarface i love the new record um i think it's really awesome and just the whole concept to the the cd the way it's set out with the with the comic up to you know with the fake you know the sort of fake ads and everything like everything is so cohesive and so beautiful like they did a really really good job with mm-hmm. starface I, I look forward to more stuff by them
4: mm-hmm.
0: yeah I'm. Um, you know i'm um i well. We're both big Wu Tang fans, and you know, Inspector Deck to me, he's he's one of the most underrated MCs ever. And a lot of times, um, I think this happens with a lot of rappers from the quote unquote '90s golden age, and even the '80s golden age. Uh, you, you know, when they come out with new music, a lot of times it's it's kind of doesn't fit. And sometimes when you hear Inspector Deck, especially on like newer Wu-Tang songs, he sounds kind of old. I don't want to say that, but he sounds kind of old. But on the czar face, he sounds uh, rejuvenated a little bit to me.
3: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, those the the modern Wu-Tang albums are Better Tomorrow and whatever. Like they I actually got to sit down with some of the Wu-Tang guys like during the press run for that album. Mm -hmm. And I. it was interesting, you know, like how some of them didn't know the song titles, you know, some of the guys care, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it was, it it seemed uh like not everyone in the clan was fully invested in, you know, in yeah. some of the more recent records.
0: Yeah, that goes to um, a conversation that we had recently. Um, I think uh, Sen he was talking about. Um, he saw an article recently about how Wu Tang they were on tour in Australia and and they all got together and recorded in the studio for a couple of hours. And, um, you know, everybody seemed pretty pleased with the output. And I said something like, um, like, yeah, until they get the songs back and they hear the beats have been changed.
4: Right.
0: (laughs) And part of the verses have been cut out and stuff like that.
3: (laughs) Right. Absolutely. Yeah. What was, what was 16 bars is now two or whatever. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
0: Um, and I was curious to know, um, out of out of your favorite rappers, um, how many have you met and have been able to have conversations with?
3: I have met a lot of my favorite rappers, which is incredible to me. Uh, you know, uh, Jean Gray was you know the very first person on the podcast has long been a, a favorite of mine. You know, uh, me not putting her in the top five was just a you know an oversight. If you'd asked me two minutes later, she would she would well be there. She has been there before. Mm. Uh, and other you know other times people have asked me, you know, drunken dinner table conversations and such. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, so, you know, her getting, you know, met Nas. Um, gosh. So, yeah. So, so many. Uh, Sage Francis, who I really love. Okay, like, yeah. Hers, like, I'm trying to think of the ones who I was kind of like, most excited. Oh, Boots Riley. Boots mm-hmm. is another person who could be in my top five. Absolutely. Um, so, meeting him was crazy. I brought him so much stuff to autograph when I met him. <laughs> <laughs> you know, rare CD, his first album on cassette, you know, all kinds of crazy stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, you know, so that, uh, so definitely. There have been a, a lot of people I really love to have gotten to talk to, either, either in person or, you know, via Skype or whatever, mm.
4: Uh, mm.
3: Or, or sometimes over the phone for, you know, other other pieces, things like that.
4: Mm. No, so have you ever, oh.
3: At this point, there's probably been more that I haven't that I, you know, probably fewer that I haven't met than I than I have, I guess. I, I guess you would say, mm. which is no. an incredible position to be in.
1: Now, have you ever met uh, Chuck D or uh, Flavor Flav or any um, anyone from the uh... Wow? Can I can't, can the, the production team? I can't. I'm a, uh, at a loss worse tonight. Yeah. Uh, oh my god.
3: I met Professor Griff briefly, probably about ten years ago. I'm sure he doesn't remember. Uh, but that is about it. I've been in the same room as as those guys. Mm-hmm. But never, uh, never met them.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. Like sometimes, I found throughout my journey through hip hop, sometimes you're in the same room with somebody, and it's like, um, it's it's really interesting. Like I like I can think of the one time I was starstruck, and that was when I was in the same room as Jay Z. <laughs> and it's funny because, um, you know, Jay Z, you, you know, I definitely respect. I don't. I don't know if I'd put him necessarily in my top five, but you know, he's might be in the top 10, but um, um, has there ever been a point when you've been starstruck or like really nervous interviewing someone or um, nervous to like speak or meet to some or uh, meet someone?
3: Sure. Uh, You know, I think the, the, the very first episode, you know, with Jean, I was very nervous. She was a little late and I remember, you know, sitting down in the lobby of the building for like 40 minutes, you know, not wanting to like go back upstairs, even though there was a doorman and obviously, you know, I wasn't going to miss anything, you know, just somehow wanting to be there to Greer and, you know, just like being super nervous. Um, You know, Nas was another one uh, more, more recently that was gosh, uh, spring uh, two years ago I guess mm. um, you know having him come through and, and you know having that be such a crazy thing because it was in this tiny tiny house in Austin you know in front of a very very small audience him doing a and a um, you know Boots like I said I was super excited and ran up on him with a bunch of stuff to autograph <laughs> um, so yeah so it happens sometimes but You know, at this point, after this many episodes of the show, if I know I'm going into an interview with someone, uh, in most cases, it's just kind of muscle memory. You get in, you say hi to the person, you settle in with a rapport and you just kind of go for it. Like there is a certain point, much like I found with stage fright when I was performing a lot, where your body just won't allow you to be nervous because you've, you've done something so many times.
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, just being a rapper, I, I, I completely, um, can, can understand that. I remember my first times performing I used to throw up before every epi- uh, before every performance, <laughs> and um, that kind of subsided after a while to where it became comfortable, um, and um, I guess I was wondering, um. Uh, what do you see this, the uh, future of the cypher? And, um, and uh, where do you plan to take it next? And uh, what, what big artists or, you know, you know, who do you have on your radar to get uh, in the future?
3: Great question. Uh, as far as, like, how the show is, I, I love the format of it. I love the content of it. I'm sure that as, you know, Josh and I evolve as people and as a team, it will continue to change in ways that maybe I don't even realize at the time. I can go back and listen to a show from, you know, a year and a half ago. And it's different from today in, you know, ways that I wouldn't have thought of until I actually went back and listened. So I'm, I'm sure it will continue to mutate. But uh, I think the, the primary mission of like trying to find interesting people and asking them about, their work uh, that will continue. Uh, People I'd like to have on, I Mm -hmm. think there are all kinds. I think, uh, you know, Chuck D is obviously someone I would love to have on for, and have wanted to since the beginning uh, for a number of reasons. I think, you know, Cube also, I think would be, would be great. Queen Latifah would be fantastic. I feel like someone at that level uh, has done a very different kind of press for a very long time. Mm -hmm. And getting to talk to them in depth about, like, you know, tell me about, you know, the beginning of the flavor unit, you know, what was it like, you know, making your first record, you know, how, you know, this kind of stuff, I think would really get something out of out of someone at that level that they don't often uh discuss Mm. you know i think someone like her someone like a russell simmons someone who is a megastar like it would be great to have them because i think i could get different things uh the other thing that i really want to do is continue to have people who you wouldn't necessarily think but who are think of but who are uh important figures just actually uh before i talk to you i was putting the finishing touches on next week's episode which is going to be uh, anton pechansky uh, the name might not be familiar but he engineered and played bass guitar and piano uh you know with g-rap with nas mm. with eric B. and Rakem, with main source you know this is a guy who was in the room for when all of that was happening Uh, And has, you know, as much to say about those records as anyone uh, and was as big a part of them, you know, as as just about anyone. So finding people like that, you know, finding someone like, you know, uh, Lisa Cortez, who was around for so much, Mm -hmm. you know, so much stuff from Def Jam through, you know, running her own label through, you know, producing an Oscar winning movie, you know. That kind of stuff. I also think the show does really well, and I am happy. I hope to continue to find more unexpected guests as well. Okay. Oh, and and uh, either of the two Beastie Boys guys, if if one or both of you is there, definitely, <laughs> definitely, you're welcome anytime.
0: And um, do you have any tips for anybody uh, podcasting, such as ourselves?
3: <laughs> do I have any tips? Yeah, I mean. You know, I was very lucky in that I started affiliated with a sort of known quantity in in Rap Genius. When I started, they weren't that big, but it was still, you know, a a big and fast growing website that I could have prime real estate on, you know, pretty easily for a long time. Uh, Mm -hmm. So I had sort of an advantage in that. The thing I would say is just, you know, what I said earlier, if something's interesting to you. Uh, it will be interesting to someone else, you know, try to follow, you know, I guess think about what do you do when no one else is looking like what do you actually do in your spare time, hmm. uh, you know, and let that kind of be your guide as to what your interests are and have that be the thing you want to talk about. Um, also, you know, the, the technical side of stuff will come uh, as you get deeper into it. Uh, this is for, you know, not you guys who have a, a well established show, but people who want to get started. Uh, all you need is, you know, the bare minimum to make things happen. And, you know, as you don't let lack of equipment stop you from, you know, putting out a show. Mm. Uh, that stuff can always be improved. Uh, but, you know, waiting till you have professional level equipment to start a show, you'll never start
0: Yeah, we started off the phone just recording our conversations <laughs> on Google Voice.
3: <laughs> yeah, oh, well, that's exactly the point, right? Oh, you, guys, yeah. you guys started that, you know, and that is, you know, I started with uh, a couple of lav mics that I hardly knew how to use. Mm. You know I don't know why you would record static interviews on live microphones when you're not videotaping them, but you know hey that's that's what we did
4: <laughs>
3: <laughs> so yeah,
0: oh man um, and um I guess um do you have any more questions? I guess in conclusion um do you have anything that you want to say to the people?
3: yeah, I'd check out. The Cypher, it's at the Cypher with an I, uh, theCypherShow.com. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Tumblr at the Cypher Show. We have an extensive back catalog uh, at slash archive that has interviews with basically all kinds of people that you've either heard of or should have heard of and, and will find fascinating once you talk to them. Uh, So and just, you know, follow me personally on Twitter at same old Sean, S-H-A-W-N, like like Sean Corey Carter. Uh, (laughs) 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 Yeah, exactly. And find out, you know, find out what I'm up to and, you know, latest articles and, you know, various trouble I get myself into. And uh, and thank you guys for having me. This was this was great.
0: Oh, we definitely appreciate oh, having you on This is a great yeah. episode I really appreciate it
3: Of course, this was, this was a pleasure
0: No yeah. doubt uh, So once again, this is a Channel 10 Podcast Channel10podcast.com Log on You can reach all our social media through there We're definitely going to add the cipher to the blog roll And you can check out all the back catalog there and um, if no one else has anything um, else to say, we're out. Peace.
3: All right. Thanks Peace. so much, guys. No all doubt. Right. Peace. Take mm-hmm. care. The feeling is here. Yeah, son. You
2: feel it, man. Roll it up, son. You got to just do it, CNN. yo. Yeah, man. Yo, roll it up, man. Some different again. channel, son. Roll it up. On, man. Roll it up. Watch the channel, son. Different plane now, man. So good. Roll it up. All good, baby. In every Williams hood, bridge. son. What up, you CNN Network Channel 10 It's on again Street niggas that's grown men Boldface, gather your face Stay in place, yo, crime lace Catch more beef than scarface CNN Network Channel 10 It's on again Street niggas that's grown men Boldface, gather your face Stay in place, yo, crime lace Catch more beef